lecture notes, What May I Hope? Kant's Philosophy of Religion. Kant was raised in a devout Lutheran home, although his adult faith was not exactly Orthodox Christianity. Although Kant was friendly to faith, he argued against some of the traditional arguments for the existence of God. We'll consider some of his specific criticisms below, but the primary gist of Kant's critiques of arguments for the existence of God is that in these arguments, reason is overstepping its bounds, going beyond phenomena, which are the proper objects of human intellect, to try to make claims about noumena. You can get a decent sense for Kant's overall philosophy of religion by considering the following title of one of his books, Religion Within the Bounds of Mere Reason. To us in 2022, it's 2022 when I'm recording anyways, this sentiment is familiar, even if you don't personally share it. We all know lots of people who like religion, but want their religion to stay strictly within some nice rational boundaries. But contrast this sentiment with, for instance, a common theme in medieval philosophy, the idea that philosophy should be the handmaiden to theology. For medieval philosophers, philosophy was a tool to be used in service of faith. Kant swaps around the roles. It's as if he's saying, faith, fine, sure, good, but make sure that faith keeps its place and lets philosophy and reason take the lead. Section A, against the ontological argument. Remember Anselm and his ontological argument from the module on medieval philosophy? You may want to revisit those lecture notes before reading or listening forward, since I'm going to assume familiarity with the ontological argument in the next few paragraphs. And remember, it was a little complicated. Kant famously argued that the ontological argument fails because existence is not a predicate. What does that mean? It means that existence is not a property that can be added to something such that it would enrich or add to our concept of that thing. Let's do a little experiment. Right now, I want you to imagine a cat. Okay, got it? Now, we'll say the cat's name is Percy and he's a ginger. So add that to your imaginations of the cat. Okay, and now I want you to imagine Percy the ginger cat sitting on my desk. Funny enough, I wrote these lecture notes like three years ago, but Percy is actually literally sitting next to me right now while I record this. Okay, so properties such as being a ginger and sitting on my desk and being named Percy add to the mere idea of being a cat. They enrich or flesh out the original concept. Now, I've already told you that Percy actually exists, but I want you to think back to the exercise. First, you imagined a cat, then you imagined um, the cat being named Percy and being a ginger and sitting on the desk. And then only after I told you all those properties did I tell you that Percy actually exists. When I told you that Percy actually exists, did that idea of existence add anything to your concept of Percy? Did it change or enrich what you were imagining? No, it didn't. And let's be careful. Imagining him sitting next to me is not the same thing as simply imagining he's existing, right? So forget about, I mean, you could say, first of all, Percy, Ginger, cat, sitting next to me, and then finally existence. So then if that's confusing you, ask yourself at that point, does adding existence to that long list of descriptions add or enrich anything to your concept of Percy? So imagining a ginger cat on a desk is exactly the same thing as imagining an existing ginger cat on the desk. Thus, Kant argues that existence cannot be a predicate, a property that's part of our very concept of God. But if existence is not a predicate, 
then it can't be a perfection, a feature that makes a being more perfect. And if existence isn't a perfection, then it's not a knock against, it's not a failure of God's perfection for God to lack existence. And that's what Anselm says that it would be. So just to be clear, Kant is not saying that God doesn't exist. He's saying that whether or not a being exists is not a predicate that enriches or adds to our concept of a thing. But if an existence, but if existence is not a part of our very concept of God, then Anselm's argument doesn't work. Okay, section B, against the cosmological argument. In addition to talking about Anselm, in our unit on medieval philosophy, we also briefly mentioned Aquinas' cosmological argument, an argument that states, roughly, that there must have been an ultimate cause of everything. The problem Kant identifies with this argument is that causality is a principle that only applies within the realm of experience, i.e. causality only applies to phenomena and not to noumena. It would be misguided, Kant argues, to apply concepts and principles of human understanding to things that are outside human experience, namely the cosmos as a whole and the question of what caused it. Part C, against the argument from design. You might remember from the lecture on Hume that Hume objects to the argument from design, namely the argument that the world was purposefully designed by an intelligent designer to be suitable for human life. Of all the arguments for God's existence, Kant seems to think that this one is the best. He praises it because he says that this argument motivates us um, to do science and to look for connections within nature. However, ultimately he thinks that even this argument fails to prove that a God exists who br it brought matter itself into being. He thinks we could use this form of reasoning to show that there is some kind of architect who is imposing order and structure on matter that already exists, but that this argument cannot show that God created everything that exists. Part D, Kant on religious belief. All of these critiques might leave you with the impression that Kant is very anti-religion. However, that's not quite right. Kant famously said that he wanted to, quote, deny knowledge in order to make room for faith, end quote. In other words, although Kant thinks we cannot have firm knowledge about God's existence, this also means we cannot have firm knowledge about whether God does not exist. He thinks that we should nonetheless have faith or hope in the existence of God. It's a very modern view of the relationship between faith and reason, really, and perhaps the rise of agnosticism in the modern world is partly due to Kant. However, it's important to note that Kant himself was not agnostic about religious belief. Kant thought that we have moral or ethical reason to believe, or to hope or have faith, in God. How so? Kant thought that it was clear that people don't get what they deserve in this world. Good people sometimes suffer terribly, and bad people seem to be successful and flourish. So Kant thinks we should have hope in the existence of God, because we should hope that God will bring about justice in the afterlife, giving true happiness to those who are virtuous and deserve happiness.